You are listening to Agency Work, and this is Season 3, where the focus of the conversations will be on collaboration. I'm your host, Parker Playstead. Today, I'm talking with Amber Kahulis Manry, Elias Dancy, and Lauren Fleming. Amber is the founder and CEO of BitCubs. Elias is the founder, creative director, and lead animator at Flatland Creative. And Lauren is the lead storyboard and concept artist at Flatland Creative. Amber, Elias, and Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Happy to be here. Today, our discussion will focus on the development of an animated cartoon that teaches children computer coding concepts through animated stories. Amber is the creator, writer, and executive producer of this cartoon series, and Elias and Lauren contributed to the cartoon animation. They have developed a pilot episode and some short trailers. The trailers are online and links will be provided in the show notes for the episode. Amber, let's get started this morning with you telling our audience about your vision for this cartoon series and what BitCubs is. So let me start with the vision of BitCubs. So the, the vision and the mission of BitCubs is to radically rethink the way we teach computer science to children, to make it accessible and affordable to children around the world. And we have two main products that we're offering. One is an animated episodic series, which is the BitCubs cartoon. And the second is a curriculum for grade levels, kindergarten through eighth grade at every grade level. So the BitCubs is a story of animated uh, animal cubs that live in the Bitman Zoo. It's loosely based in Richmond. And the cubs break out of the zoo each night to fix broken code and thwart the evil Lord Bugnacious. And in their quest to thwart the evil Lord Bugnacious, they have to take tools and put these tools in the toolboxes and bring them to the governor's mansion to fix the code. So these tools are coding concepts that have been personified. And what I mean by that is, just like Toy Story takes toys and animates them, I take these coding concepts and I create characters out of them and I inject personality into them. For example, a loop is used in code for repetition. And loquacious Larry Loop, he's a lasso who keeps on repeating himself. We also have a concept of if statements, or they're also called conditional statements. And these are used to make decisions in code. So indecisive Ida If, she's a tree branch who can't make up her mind without being given conditions. So after they take the tools, they bring them to the governor's mansion, and then we do a deep dive into the code. And this is the most educational aspect of our cartoon. In addition to the cartoon, we have our curriculum. And the, our curriculum is aligned to the Virginia computer science standards of learning that are being implemented this year. Um, and it's made to be integrated. So the Virginia Department of Education and Code VA, which is a nonprofit promoting computer science in schools, um, they very brilliantly decided to make the curriculum integrated. And what that means is we pull in other disciplines like math and science and language arts into the computer science curriculum. So we've created this curriculum. So for example, in fourth grade, we know that children learn how to calculate averages. So we have an exercise um, in fourth grade where the children calculate the average temperature over the last five days. Um, and we help them 
to see how they can build a program to calculate that average. Um, we're currently finished the curriculum and we're looking for early adopters and running pilot programs now. Amber, that's really interesting. Can you tell us more about how you developed this uh, idea for the Bit Cubs? Yes. So I had, I have 20 years experience as a software engineer and technical architect. 10 years of that was spent with a top secret clearance working for various government agencies. And it was in 2017, I, I thought I was at the pinnacle of my career. I was working really long hours. I was managing a team of 100 developers across the world in the UK, Philippines, India, um, and across the US. And as a mother of two young daughters, I had bought every STEM toy possible. And I, I recognized the value of teaching coding and engineering to my children. Um, but at the end of the day, I would come home from a long work day and I would realize that they actually needed my help to learn these concepts and I didn't have the energy for them. Um, and so it was then and there that I decided, you know, what is life if you can't be there for your own children? Um, so I was really looking for a life of more purpose. So I quit my job and I made it my job to teach computer science to children. Um, and that started the BitCubs business. So I initially started out teaching uh, coding concepts using third-party tools in the classroom at daycares and after-school programs. But I ran into three main problems. One was the business wasn't financially sustainable unless I was going to raise my prices. And I didn't want to do that because a lot of children couldn't afford $100 or more for class. The second was children weren't actually learning these concepts. I would see them play these games and drag these blocks on the screen, and then I would ask them what a loop was, and there would be blank stares. The third problem was children just thought it was boring. I thought I could use my energy and my passion for computer science and talk about loops, and the children just, one boy told me one day that uh, this is boring. <laughs> So what better way to uh, get children interested in coding than a cartoon? And so then I went back um, and I thought about the story and I thought about my time in LA in 2003, um, shortly after 9-11 and the dot-com boom and bust. I actually moved out to LA to pursue acting. So I surrounded myself with aspiring writers, uh, actors and filmmakers and one of my friends is a character designer she created she was one of the main artists for Neopets which is one of the most popular websites this is before Facebook uh, before Twitter and all that um, and her artwork was amazing and she was very talented so I reached out to her and I said look Maeve uh, I have this idea for this cartoon uh, these are the characters that I have in mind. Can you create me the characters? I wrote the script as well at the same time. And I took the script and the character designs and I looked for an animation studio in Richmond. Um, I specifically wanted someone um, who was using Toon Boom Harmony. So I Googled that. Um, as a software engineer, I'm always looking for software tools that make the work more efficient. 
Um, and I ran into a podcast with Elias Dancy, and I said, I, I need to meet this guy. And I saw his work on online, and it matched his sense of humor, his artistic style matched exactly what I was looking for. And I knew Richmond is just bursting at the seams with creativity. We have the talent here. Um, and I wanted to work with someone directly. So I just, I, I think I wrote the email maybe three different times and read it out loud and got my script and my story Bible, my show Bible and uh, the character designs ready. And I shot over an email to Elias and I'll let Elias uh, chime in here and tell us, take it from there and tell us what your response was to that. Well. <clears throat> Yeah, well, we, we because of being an, an animation studio, and we do, one of our big focuses is uh, character animation. So we get a lot of people interested all the time. We get emails from people that want to get into the animation industry, who are artists, willing to work for free, show up, whatever. We also get emailed ideas all the time. Um, Half-baked ideas, people that, that kind of come up with something creative, and it's very early on, and they don't know what to do with it at all. Um, Amber's email, though, you could tell immediately that, that she had not just an idea, but that she had already put effort towards it and was really building a real product, that this was a serious thing. Um, and you could, you could sense her, her passion in it as well. I mean, if it had just been an idea, I still probably would have responded to it because I've, I've got kids of my own. Um, I've gotten my, my oldest son involved in robotics courses and programming courses, and I've taught um, programming myself in the past as well. But when Amber and I first met and she had all this material, uh, legwork that she had done, character designs, scripting material, uh, the amount of work that she'd already put into it, we could tell she's going to make this happen. This this isn't a dream because you get a lot of dream. You, you know, I'm a, I'm a dreamer myself. We get a lot of dreamers, but Amber was actually taking her dream and building it and making it a reality. And uh, we wanted to be a part of it. So Elias, you get this pitch for this cartoon series and you've explained to us how you see the vision and you're, you're recognizing that this has some merit. What's the next step after you get this email and you start planning what the next step is? Well, we definitely had a person to person meeting with, with Amber and her team. And we looked at all of her materials and we really wanted to find out where she was at, what she was ready to do for the next steps. And what she wanted was to storyboard out initially to storyboard out one of the acts of, of the script that introduced a lot of the characters and then ultimately animate that and then ultimately animate the entire pilot. And again, she already had kind of characters designed. She had a full script. So we reviewed all of that. So anything that went into the actual making of the cartoon, we got involved in. And that, that did involve storyboarding, which takes the script and really starts visualizing it. I mean, the storyboarding phase in live action is loose or in many cases, optional. The longer the material, the more optional it is because you, you shoot a lot of coverage and then you can trim it down and almost find your story in editing. With animation, we can't over-animate a bunch of material and edit it down. So the storyboarding phase is taking Amber's vision, her, her script itself, but also her core vision. And in, in storyboarding, you're directing, you're, you're guiding the acting, you're, you're pre-editing the, the movie because we're only animating what we need. So the, the storyboarding with animation is 
the storytelling phase that normally you might do in editing, we're doing in storyboarding. So you're 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 the cinematographer, the director. You're you're already kind of planning what the animation would be. It's an extremely important step, um, including casting the voice actors. We we did during the storyboarding phase because what we'll do is um, plan from the very beginning to not have a static storyboard. I don't think we ever just sent Amber a, a PDF with a bunch of illustrations on it as a storyboard. Um, we're not making a comic book. It's not going to be seen that way ever. We, I think the only time we ever gave you a, a, a PDF storyboard that was static images is just to show that the shots that we had finished crossed off of the of the file uh, to, to just see what, how much of the movie was done and how much was left to be done. What we do from the very beginning is get some sound in there and time the storyboard as if it was a movie. So even though it's loose, it's sketched, um, Lauren might have, she does some pretty detailed sketches, but we're, we haven't done the animation, it might not be in color yet, it's very loose so that we can revise it. Um, that's our editing process, is taking the, the storyboard, turning it into a video so you can watch it in real time with the timing that it would have once it's animated and sharing it back to Amber and getting her feedback on it and making changes, cutting some stuff, moving it around when it's still just a sketch. Um, I, uh, Lauren can probably go into her, her process a little bit, but one of the things we, we do when we take the storyboard is we look at the script and you have to ask yourself at, at any given moment, whether it's for an explainer video, whether it's for a 30-second TV spot, whether it's for a longer-form educational material, you got to look at what is the most important thing, what are we trying to show, and then what is an interesting or fun way to show it. Elias, Amber brought up the Toon Boom software, and I know you guys have talked about that with me before, so I know you're using that. How does that fit into the storyboarding? Yes, uh, Toon Boom makes a couple of software packages. Uh, for us, there's Storyboard Pro, and then there's also Harmony. Harmony is where you do the animation. Storyboard Pro is where you, you can build the storyboard, and fortunately, it spits out a static storyboard that you can look at and put on the wall and review and send to somebody and they can look at the images that you made with the, the script along with it as kind of a reference and a guide um, and it can from the exact same file you can time it to your sound uh, to create a video out of it it also integrates with our animation tool which is Toon Boom's Harmony program where each of the scenes spits out into Harmony uh, individual files for animation. So it, we don't have to do a bunch of prep work going from one phase of production to another. If we storyboard in Storyboard Pro, it automatically can go out as a video clip, as uh, a PDF storyboard, as well as create the individual Harmony files that we'll use while we're doing animation. So Lauren uh, would use Storyboard Pro, and what we what we could do there is it's got a whole bunch of drawing tools for itself. You know, you can you can open up the, the software package and draw directly in there, but you can also import things in. So you can make use of a variety of other software packages, whether you're on an iPad Pro using a Procreate or whether you're you know using Photoshop. So regardless of what program you might prefer to draw the material in, you can still bring it into Storyboard Pro so that we have the advantage of putting script notes to it, uh, building the, the, the PDF file that we'll use kind of as our project management on the, on the project, knowing what shots we, we have left to do and which shots need to be done. You make the video for review for the clients and it prepares all of the shots that we need to for animation. Um, and so L Lauren would um, 
use Storyboard Pro kind of more at the end for, for timing of it, but a lot of her planning and creativity and design could be in whatever drawing program she wanted to use to draw in. Definitely. Um, so we started off the storyboarding process um, with a, another application called TV Paint. Um, I was very excited for one when when Amber brought in this project because she was like Elias said um, she was ready she was ready to start it um, and she also had again the nice character designs from Maeve and, and the package was entertainment and that's as animators that's a lot of what we love to do um, we love advertisement but this was a project that we knew we could handle um, so with the storyboarding process Amber already had her scripts um, ready. So with all the writing she had, we were also able to break each of these scenes down and make nice compositions out of them, um, either for aesthetic reasons or either for the visual gag reasons. Um, so Lauren, you're doing a lot of the uh, background drawing and, and really kind of filling in uh, the coloring and the texture definitely. and all that. So you're contributing that aspect of the artwork uh, into the cartoon. Right. Um, so the process for the backgrounds is that we take the boards that we have for the storyboards. We then create a mock-up or a final layout or a draft of what the actual backgrounds should be. From there, we take it into color. We get them approved by Amber before we go ahead with any of that. And then we start doing a bunch of the colors, making sure that the color schemes add up. They're supposed to be nighttime scenes when they're nighttime scenes, daytime scenes, or depending on the mood, what is the character feeling at that time? Um, well, it brings up an interesting point about uh, the creative process in storyboarding is also a very functional process. So creatively, when you're taking the storyboard, you're looking at Amber's script and you're trying to portray it, but you're also trying to elevate it and bring something that's not spoken to the table so that there's something to watch and something to hear. Sometimes they're in, in harmony. Sometimes they're they're completely opposite of each other. Somebody might be saying something, and something else is happening on screen that's that's setting up the next gag, or is something different going on just to add to the humor of the scene. So you have all this creativity going into storyboarding, but it also creates all the logistics of what you have to create in animation. Anything that you storyboard ends up having to be animated, and anything that you storyboard ends up having to be drawn. Even in the case of, for instance backgrounds. If you storyboard in every single shot, you know, we don't we don't have the luxury of building a set and shooting it from different angles. We don't, you know, every single shot has to have a background to it that has to be drawn. So you want to be able to make use of one background over and over again and yet at the same time not get boring. So you want to zoom in on some things here and there where you can take the same background and throw it out of focus. You want to get leverage out of those backgrounds that you're creating and yet still stay stay interesting. When you're storyboarding it if you have the characters do really complicated things, that's actually easy to do in a storyboard. Might be hard to do in animation. And so you can complicate the animation process. So we're always looking at, you know, what is the most we can get in animation? How can we make this as cool and as interesting as fun as possible? But also look at budget and look at time frame and say what can get done in this period of time because they might not be able to put an extra month into this process. If we have a bunch of characters that have to turn around all the way and do really complicated movements or we've got four or five characters in every shot, they take longer to make. And that's decided not in animation, that's decided in the storyboarding phase. So you're looking at the script and trying to tell it in an interesting way but also in a way that can be achieved during production. And you can blow out your budget and make it five times as expensive 
or you can protect the budget and the timeline and make sure things can get done when you need them to in the storyboarding phase. Yeah. I'd like to chime in here as a, a bootstrapped entrepreneur, solo founder. Uh, budget is a huge concern. This is all... This is all my own personal money that I put because I believed in this project and I believed in Flatland Creative. Um, this is something that I believe the world must see. And, you know, for those that don't know, VCU is the top public arts school in the country. And a lot of people don't realize how much talent and creativity we have here. So I knew that we had that and I not only did I know that this project the world must see this project I also knew that the talent that we have here in this room needed to be showcased to the world yeah and one of our first phases from storyboarding was a black and white storyboard for Amber to look at and approve but she made clear from the very beginning in order to show early people she didn't want a storyboard that might be difficult for various other people that weren't used to looking at this early stage process, she wanted it to be easy for them to look at. So we fully colorized the, the, the original version of the animatic too. And we brought in, what, two or three VCU students to help us color in the, the, the animatic. We, we brought in some short-term people just to help us fill in all that color and make it look really, really nice from, from the get-go as, as an early tool to show people and proof of concept, um, which is a phase that normally, you know, if we're working on a 30-second TV spot and we've only got a month to do it and we might not go through that phase of development. But uh, it really made the animatic itself its own, it, you know, its own very watchable uh, art piece. So Amber, good point about managing a budget here. But as I understand it, there was some changes to the script and I'd like Elias to tell us more about how the script evolved. The first part that we storyboarded and then even animated to completion was act two. It introduced a lot of the characters and the the problem that the bit cubs were going to have to solve in fixing the code. Uh, but a little bit of time had passed between that and making the entire pilot episode. And Lauren and I, we talked about it on our side on, on things that were going on and what would happen if we made the whole thing or when we made the whole thing. Um, during that time, Amber had some changes to the script she was working on as well because there just was development time. She had a very good core script of taking this ATM machine that was coded to spit out endless money and getting them to fix it to show you how you would write that so that it worked properly. But then she took that and added more to the actual story that surrounded that learning lesson. She added more about the villain going on and him hacking the ATM and why he would do that, as well as um, a little bit of an action scene at the end where once they fix the code, they still have to try to catch him. So funny enough, we were kind of working on solving those parts of the story on our side while she was also considering the exact same issues on her side. She came back with um, them trying to catch Bugnacious at the end and invented mm -hmm. this contraption that the main character, Pia, uh, invents that, that helps out with that. We threw some gags in on top of that once we saw that she was working in that direction as well. Uh, she had written a scene about Bugnacious hacking the ATM, which wasn't in the original version of the script, but she wrote this whole scene where he's trying to hack the ATM and has this conversation with his smartphone that doesn't understand him. And we had written our own uh, scene of Bugnacious and why he was stealing the money. And Lauren actually wrote, wrote a draft of the script that really gave him this kind of manic, weird personality and a lot of dialogue as well, uh, or monologue, I should say. And uh, we shared a lot of that back with, with Amber and a lot of what we wrote 
made it into the script, sometimes combined with what, what she wrote, but we were actually thinking about the same needs of story and script. Uh, you know, two different teams were, were really identifying the same thing that was, that was needed to be there. One of the interesting things about the, um, the, the process too is the core of what we really wanted to do in, in teaching the code was relatively straightforward in this case. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're trying to take really vague concepts and make them visual so people can understand intangible ideas. In this, we had code to look at and walk you through the code. So some of that learning material was very easy to storyboard and easy to show off, but putting it in context and making it fun to learn, and why am I learning this? This code is not to, to learn an arbitrary function like a math problem that has no purpose. We're putting in the context of a story on why they need to, to make these changes. So it was that, that story that put everything into context that we were developing. and. Um, I, did, I ended up doing the voice of Bugnacious because in the original six minutes, he didn't have any dialogue. You know, his, his, his sounds were just noises. Oh, ah, oh, this kind of stuff. Um, and then once we made the entire pilot, I mean, the first two minutes of the episode are, are him acting like some sort of wacky, dopey, in his own mind, genius villain. Uh, and the part really, really grew, which was I was not expecting and would not have agreed to <laughs> had I known. Um, well, Elias, this is a good segue into um, there were only a few voice actors in this. There were many characters, but there were people uh, who could do multiple characters like Kara and Scott. And Lauren, you were one of the lead characters in yes, this as well. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about the casting of uh, the voice actors and, and how that played out. Right. Well, you, you determine a lot of what you're going to make and also a lot of the problems that you're going to have in the scripting and storyboarding phase. And Amber gave us a big problem where she had a lot of characters. I mean, just the tools, the personified tools that she mentioned earlier, there's seven of them. Plus you have the bit cubs and the governor and and the villain. You know, it was a lot of characters. We, we started out, let, let me chime in, we started out with six bit cubs? Six bit cubs, yeah. seven tools. And a 30-minute script. <laughs> And then budget became an issue, and I said, look, we're cutting it down to 15 minutes, and we're cutting three or four of our bit cubs. And, um, you know, that, when you cut the budget, it allows for creativity when you work within constraints, always. Um, and then the voice actors, you know, we're, we're a scrappy team, so we have a lot of people playing different roles. Yeah, and it really gave each bit cub a, a very strong purpose because now we only had three instead of six of them to fit in. So Pia, who is voiced by Lauren, is kind of like the leader of the group, and we were able to spend more time introducing, you know, two, three bit cubs rather than trying to to introduce six at one time. So we were able to focus on Pia as a little bit of the leader. Saul was the one that actually kind of teaches the lesson, and then Rana goes out and tries to catch Bugnacious. So they each have their own little purpose in the story, which I think was a huge benefit to a pilot episode. And then when it came to the tools, they were crazy, you know. Um, but what we did there was we found two voice actors in town that could do a bunch of voices, cartoony voices, and really push their voice into different areas. It wasn't just an amendment of their own voice or when I did Bugnacious and just kind of played it up, it was even digitally tweaked at a higher pitch a little bit. So we worked with Kira uh, Kira O'Brien and Scott Wickman who could both, I, I'd worked with Kira before and I knew she could really push her voice into these different directions. So the seven tool characters are voiced by two people. All the female ones 
are voiced by Kira and all the male ones are voiced by Scott and they've got wildly different personalities from very bold argumentative ones to more soft-spoken unsure characters and they recorded all their segments you know straight through with just the two of them in a booth you know Scott was playing four voices mm-hmm. and Kira was three I think mm-hmm. and they would bounce back and forth between those voices in the conversation so sometimes Scott is talking to himself amongst two or three different characters and bouncing it over to Kira who's answering one of her voices and when it goes back over to him it's a, a different one of his voice they never missed a beat at all uh, which worked very well for us logistically um, and and really allowed for those seven characters that were very important to Amber because they actually personified in, uh, the code elements themselves. There's a, a two-minute part of the pilot where the governor goes and explains the purpose of each of the tool characters so that you understood what they did, which I thought was really great because you know, I, have, I have kids and they like superhero cartoons and Teenage Ninja Turtles and all this sort of stuff. And one of the first things they ask is, what is this character's power? When you have characters that are personified tool concepts, it's kind of like, well, here's their power and, and explaining their, their cool niche in the story or what their superhero power is, you're explaining them a coding concept. Loop is a very different character than Break, who just stops the code. And as Amber said earlier on, we have multiple talents even shared in this room. Um, when the PIA opportunity came up, I was um, I definitely wanted to try it out. Uh, I'm a grown woman, but I have this childlike nature and I have this childlike voice, so I knew I could probably bring something to the table. Um, so I came in the booth and I wanted to try something charming. I wanted to keep the youthful voice cracks, the the excitement, you know, all of that. And then Elias too was able, as he said earlier, um, to bring on the bugnacious voice. Yeah, I think Amber mentioned trying Lauren out as the Pia voice. And I suggested it right after that because I had seen in storyboarding some of her own little character work, Lauren had done some voice work for it just to post on Instagram, a little character she was testing out. And so I knew she kind of had a little bit of that acting acting bug. She's also a musician, and when I've heard her, her music before, too, it, it's not – some of it is song songs, and some of it is very personality, story-driven um, music where it, it is almost sung from a character's imagination or a character's voice. And so I, I had confidence that she could do it and also would want to do it. Because once you get in a booth and you're supposed to be doing a character voice, it sounds fun, but all the eyes are on you, looking at you, you got the headphones on, you're in front of a mic, and you're supposed to be doing a voice that's not yours. It, it, it can be intimidating for a lot of people. But uh, Lauren embraced that, and, and I reluctantly had to embrace that as well <laughs> uh, with Bugnacious. But it ended up working out really well, too, because uh, if we did have any scripting changes, we knew that Lauren was right um, you know, on hand to, to handle that. All right. A lot of good insight on the storyboarding, the script writing, and the voices. I love all this stuff. This is really cool behind-the-scenes info. Uh, but at this point, we got to talk about where is the project, what's been done, who's seen it, and where is it going next. So, Amber, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Definitely. So we worked very hard over the summer, um, especially Elias and Lauren and another one of their animators to finish the production. We finished the production of the pilot episode as well as the curriculum for grades K through eight. Um, And we've submitted to film festivals around the country um, and we're waiting to hear back from them. And because we submitted to these film festivals, like Sundance and South by Southwest and Tribeca, 
um, we cannot release the pilot episode publicly. And so that's not available right now online. Um, but what I've been doing is taking the curriculum to early adopters. So I've brought it to different uh, nonprofit events and volunteered my time. I showed it to Girls for a Change, which is a local nonprofit promoting women of color. I've also been talking with Capital One Coders. Um, I'm very thankful to be a member of Startup Virginia, which is a nonprofit promoting uh, startups in the Richmond area and Virginia as well. Um, and we work in a building called the 1717 Innovation Center, which is owned by Capital One. Um, so I'm very blessed to be able to uh, work in that building. And through Capital One Coders, we're going to run a free pilot in a couple schools starting in December. So Amber, I'd like to tie in a little bit more with this film festival thing to explain that. So the f showing this pilot at the film festivals is a way to get people to notice it and, as I understand, get some financial backing to continue this. Is that right? Yes. So this is the this is the life of a startup. So everything changes. So what I tell you today could be different uh, a couple months from now. So um, and uh, this is one of my biggest struggles is I'm straddling entertainment, education and tech. Um, and so the the strategy is to submit to these film festivals and get awareness and find partners, whether that be in uh, production and, or in financing or distribution. So the idea is if you can find um, someone to help collaborate with our team to do the production, there's a possibility of getting licensing fees um, to help continue that production. And so that would create the audience. So the idea behind it is the cartoon is a way to get children interested. Not everyone's going to sign up for a boot camp, um, but almost any kid will watch a cartoon. So if we can get them interested and get a big audience, then that opens up the door for selling the curriculum in schools, as well as merchandising, including uh, board games, educational toys, and plush toys. Amber? Thank you for coming in today, and, and Elias and Lauren, thank you, too, for coming in and, and participating in the podcast and giving us some insights on the development of this Bit Cubs cartoon. Uh, it's an interesting development project. Uh, love the collaboration that's gone on and, and bringing this to life, and also the, the business aspect of this, Amber. So thank you for coming in today and participating in the podcast. But now it's time for me to wrap this up. To our audience, you've been listening to the Agency Work Podcast. My guests today have been Amber Kahulis Manry, Elias Dancy, and Lauren Fleming. To learn more about BitCubs, go online to bitcubs.com, B-I-T-C-U-B-S.com. To learn more about the work done by Elias and Lauren at Flatland Creative, go online to studioflatland.com, S-T-U-D-I-O-F-L-A-T-L-A-N-D.com. Additional information and links are available in the show notes for this episode, so please look at the show notes. You'll find some other additional information to give us more background on this BitCubs cartoon. Thank you, Amber, Elias, and Lauren. Anytime. Thank you, Parker. 
Thanks, and I look forward to changing the world. <laughs> I think you will. <laughs> and to our audience, thank you for listening. I will be back in two weeks with another discussion on collaboration, and I hope you will tune into that episode. This podcast was recorded at Red Amp Audio in Richmond, Virginia. This is Agency Work, signing off.